Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have a full house today. And as you've already sensed in the room, we had a great week with uh, VBS. And man, a big, big special thank you to Gabe and Caitlin for leading the way and leading the charge on that. Did a great job all week long and a lot of good workers. And just a sweet spirit among all the, the workers and the kids. And it was, it was fun to watch them every day and, and uh, enjoy, enjoy the music and all the good stuff. So it's been a great week. We are in a study in 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, join me there. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we started last week. And uh, we'll, we'll finish up that chapter today. But uh, here, here in this letter, as you kind of know, if you've been listening the last few weeks, Paul, uh, Paul's been answering a question. He's kind of been answering a little bit of a criticism, and that happens in churches. It happens everywhere. Um, he's just being very truthful uh, as, he, as he tells this church about his own faith, and especially, as we'll see today, this heart for ministry, this desire to serve God, to be a part of what God's doing very important to Paul, and, and honestly, it's an important part to all of us, that we want to be a part of what God is doing. I, we're thankful that he saves us, and we know that we have eternity with him, and we, we're grateful for the change in our life, but none of us want to sit on the bench. None of us want to like sit this out and just observe from afar. Um, we want to be invited in. We want to know our place. Uh, we want to be encouraged with opportunities. And so Paul, even though he's been kind of attacked a little bit and kind of uh, trash-talked a little bit, he, he steps up and writes this letter, and he's just a lot of encouragement, a lot of blessing them with, with teaching, with stuff that they needed to be reminded of. And I, I just see it as such a beautiful letter for us in our, in our world, in our church, where we're at today, that we just need to be encouraged. Would you say amen to that? Right? We seem to be encouraged. Don't really need to be yelled at again. Don't need to have someone like get in my business about stuff. But just, just to be encouraged in this faith because serving the Lord is always costly. It just is. Paul wasn't like, I'm going to sit on my couch and kind of serve the Lord when I want to get up and get some chips. It's like, no, I'm going to step up and get out and say, God, I'm here. I'm, here. I'm yours. And, and by giving of himself completely, uh, ultimately it costs. It, it always costs. It costs you. It costs us. It costs people that served this last week. The idea isn't to see how easy we can make ministry. The idea is say, God, how, help me to, to be strong. Help me, to, help me to, to do this in your power and for your glory. And so, so Paul is, a, is, is very encouraging throughout this letter as he's teaching and giving instruction on the life of serving, the life of ministry. Uh, today, I've titled our message, Confidence. I called it help for all of us, because there's not one person in this room that doesn't need what's said in this passage. So I hope that encourages you already, uh, that what, what Paul wrote and what we're going to read is for you, like Paul delivers this to you and to me, and so we need this. Um, but I'm, I'm building off this statement, confidence um, in your foundation of faith, that you, you have a foundation of faith. Uh, even if you're like brand new to grace, if you're, maybe you're new to church world and you've just not known much, there is a foundation that we have in Christ uh, as we come to know Christ and we accept him as our Savior and we follow him as our Lord, we, we learn from the scriptures, uh, we're building a foundation that's based on Christ. And so Paul's, is, in his encouragement, you're going to hear this confidence that he has. And it's a confidence that you and I can also 
um, know and recognize, but also build on. So a confidence in your foundation of faith. Uh, I asked the question, what is it you really believe? If you've ever wondered, what, what is it you believe? The answer is going to be found in, well, just listen to yourself talk, right? So we can all say we believe certain things, but how have we, how have we spoken this last week? Do we tend to talk down, talk backwards, talk discouragement, life is horrible? Or do we tend to talk forward, lean into it, upwards, God is good, life is hard, but I'm trusting God. Do you, does your, does your faith come out in the way you talk of, of the trials, the challenges, the things you're going through as a family, the way you feel about our culture? We all have that response. We're either talking forward and upward, or we're talking back and down and discouraged and always struggling with that. Life is hard, and we're going to see Paul does not shy away from admitting challenges. But if you want to know what you really believe, just listen to what you've said this last week. Kind of do a little self-check on, yeah, I do tend to do that, don't I? Or, no, I've, I've been encouraged, and I'm around people that help me uh, be encouraged. So what it, we believe is, is what's coming out of our mouth day, to, day by day. As we dig into our passage today, and we're going to pick it up with verse 13 in a minute, but let me just read for you, and if, you're, if you have your Bible there, follow along. I just want to pick up verse 7. Not, we're not going to review last week, but that'll help set us up for where we're, where we're going. If you remember the clay pots we had, he says in verse 7, Paul says, but we have this treasure, speaking of Christ in us, the gospel, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, speaking of ourselves, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Very key verse here. Continuing verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And again, I, I, I'll try not to repeat the whole sermon. It's online. You, you got to check it out if you missed it. But the idea is we're, we're a jar of clay. This is temporal. This physical thing I'm living in. This is God made this. This is God's plan. This is the best he could do with what, what I have. And, but this is temporary. And what he's done in me is put himself. I'm the vessel that holds the treasure. The treasure is the gospel. The treasure is Christ in me. The treasure is all that he's done on my behalf before the Father is so that I can know the Father. This is the treasure that we carry. And Paul says, man, I've been afflicted. I've been beat up. I've been kicked. I've been left for dead, but not destroyed. I'm not, I'm not, just, I'm not in despair. I haven't quit. It's not over. So he's very positive, not, not dismissive about real trials. We talked about that last week. But honestly, man, I'm just a jar of clay doing what God's called me to do. And and yeah, it's been rough. And that's kind of why we need each other. And it's why we lean on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So he says all that, and he identifies with the death of Christ. And when we read that verse towards the end last week, I realized it's this, this weird picture of we carry the death of Christ with us. What does that mean? 
Well, that means that because Christ died, I get to know God. So I don't have a relationship with God and ignore the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, fully God, fully man, died. Didn't just have a bad day. Didn't just go through some affliction and despair and hard time. He died on my behalf. That gives me who I am. So I stand in that. Paul identifies with that as well as Paul was clearly saying, and we understand this, that Paul himself, as an apostle, first century church, remember there's no grandparents that were raised in church. This is all first generation. Paul's realizing this is going to cost him his life. All of the disciples died as martyrs for Jesus. No one died of old age. John lasted the longest. They died as martyrs for Christ. They knew living for Christ, speaking forward on this, this gospel message that, that was re- being rejected by others would ultimately cost them. And Paul realized, I'm carrying the death. We're, we're doing this so that you have life. This is for your benefit. And so he was very encouraging as he spoke truth of this. But honestly, there's a soberness to that truth. And so we, we come to the next passage here in verse 13 through 18 is all we're going to do today. I say all, it's going to take us all the time we have. But, but as I look at this passage, Paul starts off with verse 13 by making a reference to an Old Testament passage. And I want you to see this because this is, I think, very significant uh, in verse 13 when he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what was written, I believed and so I spoke, Paul says, we also believe and so we also speak. Uh, you remember that in the early church, and we saw this really throughout Judaism, that they knew their scriptures. Uh, the Jewish community, uh, those that were following God, would know the scriptures. They would not be unfamiliar when a reference was made. Uh, they would quote many of them. They would memorize them. They had these, and when we go through the book of Psalms, and we've had that study, you have Psalms that they recited together as they walked up to Jerusalem, Psalms of Ascent. You had royal psalms, which talked about Jesus as king. You had what we call messianic psalms, which would foretell coming of Jesus. Uh, you, we have Passover psalms, psalms that they would read or quote or sing at the Passover meal. Psalm 116 is one of those psalms. In Psalm 116, this is what Paul is referring to in verse 13. He makes reference uh, to Psalm 116 when he talks about uh, what was said, we too also hold to this. And so notice, if, you, if, you have, if you're taking notes, there's, there's notes available to, for you. But in Psalm 116, uh, verse 1, it says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Skip down a couple verses, verse 3. The psalmist says, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And this is, this is a, a psalm that they would read at the Passover meal. There's a sense of anguish, this impending death. And, and I'm surrounded by this and I need help. And, and he cries out to the Lord. And the Bible says, and the Lord heard me. Skip down to verse 9, Psalm 116, verse 9. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. So what he says, what the psalmist is saying is, I have hope that this is going somewhere. 
Right now it's really hard, it's really dark, it's really dismal. There's not a lot of hope in the moment. But my hope is that I know that I will walk among the living with the Lord. You're like, what does that have to do with what Paul is doing in Corinth? Well, let me tell you. What that has to do is the confidence of that statement. The psalmist says, I I, I said this, I believe this, and so we declare it. Paul repeats that. Paul says the same thing. He makes reference to that, that Psalm 116 when he's writing a letter to a church in Corinth. And let me tell you, when he wrote that, it would be like you and I hearing someone quote the words to Amazing Grace. If someone quoted Amazing Grace, we would know right away what they're referring to. It would take us to a place. It would touch our heart. We would remember something. There would be something that connects with us because of the, of the, of the language of that song. That's how familiar it would be to us. And so for the church to hear Paul say, just so you know, just so you know in verse 13, uh, the confidence, as it has was written, I believed, so I spoke. Paul says, man, we also believe. And so we're going to speak. Here's where the confidence hits us. Here's where that sense of, guys, this is true. I'm not just kind of trying to convince you of something. I'm not just trying to make you feel better. you got to know my heart, man. I believe this. What I'm going to tell you, I believe. Therefore, I'm going to speak. To speak boldly of the hope of the gospel. This is what Paul's heartbeat was always about. He was not about just trying to make church happy. He wasn't just trying to make all the dissenters really either in or out. And he he was always about the clarity of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. We call that the gospel. Never forget, the gospel changes lives. The gospel changes lives. Verse number 14 of 2 Corinthians 4 He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So what is Paul so passionate about in verse 13 when he says, uh, we also believe and so we speak? It's It's this same spirit of faith he's identifying with. He says we have that same, in the spirit of faith there, that word in verse 13 isn't, probably isn't talking about the Holy Spirit in the sense of we have this thing added to us. I think the word spirit there, as you see often in Scripture, is talking about the, the inner soul of, of mankind, that thing within me. We might use the word uh, gusto, that, that, that deep thing within me. When someone comes and says, man, that's the spirit, you got this, you got that. You know, go up there, you know, face your pitcher, swing the bat, you got this, you, know, you got the spirit. So it's that sense of inner quality, that, that depth of strength that Paul refers to. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what's been written. So I identify with the psalmist. We believe this. We're passionate about it. What is he passionate about? Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus, the Father, God raised Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Now catch this for a second. You got this conflict Church people had been, you know, someone had come into the church and, and thrown down some trash towards Paul and kind of just trying to discredit him. And, and people have repented. I think it's been resolved. But Paul in this letter is addressing, guys, we got to find our confidence in ministry in Jesus. Don't look to the people around you. Don't look for the accolades and the applause or the, or the I likes or the I don't likes. He says, focus this on Jesus. 
And what this does for me and you as encouragement is it reminds us that we are all about the gospel of Christ, the hope, the changed life. When Paul says, here's what it is, that he who raised Jesus, he who raised him from the dead, will raise us also in Psalm 116. I will stand among the living. The psalmist knew, I might lose my life in this next few moments. This battle may get me. But I know that someday I will stand with God. Someday God will do his perfect work in me and I will be with him, the psalmist said. Paul says that is exactly what we're about. And he's writing to a church that has kind of started to write him off a little bit. It's like, guys, I, I realize you know, you got different responses to this, but please hear me. My hope is that there's going to be a day when the one who raised Jesus is going to raise you and you and you and I and together we will be with the Lord. This is my hope. This is, what, this is what we hold on to. This is the boldness of belief that Peter speaks of. The hope of Christ's return. The fact that this is a real thing. It's not just like a, when we study theology, this is always the last chapter. If you have a theology book, it's called eschatology. and It's the end. It's like, we're going to really live in this stuff, but there's coming a day, and so we, we kind of peek over the fence and say, what's coming our way? And, but yet we don't pay too much attention because we got to talk about lunch, and the kids need this for school, and, and what's up with the 40 freeway every day? And you know we're just living in the moment of all the stuff, and we're not always thinking about this is actually going somewhere. This is a big, big deal. So Paul's passionate about this. You see it throughout his writings. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Not everyone's going to face physical death. So far, that's been the case, but there's going to be a day. And that's not going to be everybody, but we shall all be changed. Verse 52, in a moment... In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Paul says with this clarity of conviction, there's coming a day. And don't get, don't get all worried about well, who's in what camp on what day and how that looks and what kind of trumpet is this like a trombone? What kind of, don't worry about that stuff. Just know there's coming a day when there's going to be a sound and that sound is going to activate everything in full motion and we will be with Jesus. The dead in Christ will rise first. That means people you know and love that have passed away. Grandparents, parents, family members, that dear friend. And we, we sorrowed their death. We experienced the, the sadness of that. But for the believer, we always know deep inside, right? This isn't goodbye. This is so long. This is see you next time. Because we know there's coming a day when Jesus is coming back. And the church needs to know that. The church needs to look at that and talk about that and not be afraid to say, yeah, but I don't know when, so maybe I'll just worry about the 40 freeway. No, don't do that. Um, when you're on the 40 freeway, it's a good time to be thinking about the trumpet sounding because, you know, start, you know don't, don't make the own, your own sound. But the Lord's coming back, and we know when he does, we will all be changed. Paul says, like the psalmist, I believe this, so I'm going to declare it. My hope is that the stuff that we're struggling with, a couple of you didn't like me because I didn't come to your town on the day I thought I would come, and you've kind of been out of shape, which is kind of weird, actually. He says, Jesus is going to come for both of us. Do you realize that the unity that the second coming of Christ brings to the body of Christ? 
The unity of purpose, the unity of hope, the unity of, of all the stuff that kind of divides us, all the stuff we get all messed up over, there's going to be a day when, when Jesus comes, when, when, the, when the trumpet sounds. And you know what? Just so you know, we're not going to go up in groups. It's not like, well, you were part of a cool church, and you were more holy, so you guys go first, and we were doubtful, so we're going to be kind of coming in tomorrow. No, we're all going at the same time. Paul says, this is going to be a day. My hope is, my confidence is, that in that twinkling of an eye, at that last trumpet, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Jude 24 says it this way, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, we will come before God. The beauty of that trumpet sounding, the beauty of our, of our rapture to be with Christ is that we will be before him. No more separation. No more us doing our best here and wondering, I wonder what it's going to be like. That question will be answered. We're going to come before the Lord. And Jude says, there's coming a day. You will come before him. We will stand before the Lord. Earlier in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians uh, verse 19, it says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Check this out. Paul's saying, if you say you're a follower of Christ, but you're, all your hope is in today and tomorrow and the stock market and the economy and the price of gas and blah, blah, blah. He says, if this is the best we got, we of all people should be pitied. We're totally missing the point. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by one man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul was all about the second coming of Christ. He was all about the clean, clear, direct message, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the answer. He's not just a ticket so we someday have our own harp and sit on a paved of gold street. He's, he's our meaning. He's our purpose. Paul was all about the resurrection of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14, he says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, everybody believe that? Amen. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. God is going to do this. Hadn't happened yet. It's in our future just as it was in Paul's day. Paul says, like the psalmist in 116, this I believe, this I'm going to proclaim. I, I stand for this. Church, you need to hear this. This is the glorious hope of the gospel. I guess before I move on, I just want to ask, do you have that hope? Do you know that hope? Can you say like the psalmist, this I believe, so therefore I'm going to declare it? Or is it this I see and I hereby wonder? Or this I've heard and so I'm kind of skeptical? Or this I've seen but I'm out here on the outside looking in, or would it be, man, Jesus really did that on my behalf? Jesus went to a cross and suffered and died because of Mark Smith's sin. I have, there's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What he did, he did for me, he did for you. 
That hope that we talk about when we think about, man, this is going somewhere. Is there going to be a second coming? We're going to be in heaven. That doesn't just happen. That starts with the fact that my faith is in Jesus Christ. My hope is in who he is. Some of the, one of the best things we can do is turn off distractions, ignore the stuff around me for just a moment, and get in touch with the one who created me, the one who knows me, the one who, the psalmist, another psalmist says, knew me in my mother's womb. He knew me and formed me. That one I need to get in touch with. Say, God, is my hope in you? Is my confidence in you? Or am I just watching and hoping that when the, when, the, when the bell rings, that I somehow find myself in the right line. No, you need, to, you need to be confident. Paul's confidence was in the foundation of his faith. This is who Jesus is and what he's done for me. What we say at VBS, what we say every here at, at, at Hume when we take our students to camp, it's always the same message. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He took your place. What you want to do is hear that Believe it in your heart and confess it and say, yes, Lord, I admit I am a sinner. I sinned against you. I repent of that. I want to turn from that and turn to you and receive this gift that you've given me. Salvation, what Christ did, he did so we could know the Father. He did so you would have that confidence in the hope, not just of the second coming, but in purpose of life today, in this very day. I can have confidence in the mess that I'm in. The reason Paul could say, man, going through afflictions and, and we're perplexed. The reason he could say we're going through all that but not destroyed is because he's saying, man, I'm just a jar of clay. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is temporary. I'm just a jar of clay, but I've got this treasure in me. And I didn't come up with that treasure. That's God. That's Jesus. That's the gift. That's the gospel of grace. We tell our kids, admit you are loved by God and admit that you've sinned against him. Believe what he says is true about you, what he says about himself is true, that he came, that he died for us. And then confess him as Savior. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know you did that for me, and so I place my faith in you. I say to you, I accept this gift. What you did for me, I believe it. And receive Christ as Savior. You place your trust in Jesus by confessing you. You say, God, I believe. Yes, Lord, I hear you. Romans 10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that what Paul just said is actually true, that he did, God raised Jesus from the dead. If I say that's really true and I believe it, and I believe it in my heart, he says, you will be saved. For with the heart you believe. Not just because you say a few words and you get the words in the right order, your heart believes. God, this is really true, isn't it? You actually did that for me. I mean, it's cool that you did it for everybody else, but wait a second, God, you have my name? Yeah, he's got your name. He did it for you. With the heart, one believes and is justified. With the, with the mouth, we confess. We can know him as Savior. I love in verse 15. And by the way, this is our motivation. Paul, Paul, the reason Paul says in 13, man, I'm so excited. I came and tell you, the, I, I line up with the psalmist. I believe I'm going to declare it. Verse 14, this is what I declare, that Jesus, you know, he's going to come and, and we're all going to be together. But then look at verse 15. He says, for it is all for your sake. <laughs> 
Here's a church that's been ragging on him, and he should say, you know what's wrong with you knuckleheads? That's how I would have written the letter, which is why I'm not an apostle. He doesn't say that. He says, this is all for you. This is how much God thinks of you. All that's happened is for your sake, verse 15, so that as grace extends to, do you guys see it on the screen? You know, let's do this one of these out loud things. Everyone say this verse with me. For it is all for your sake together, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You know what that means? That means what Christ has done for you and has changed you. Paul says, as that message goes to more and more people, more thanksgivings are coming to the glory of God. This is huge. Paul's word of encouragement for ministry. He said in verse 1, man, well, I'm, not, I'm not out. I'm not distressed. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not checking out. We're encouraged. And then he goes and tells us this, what Christ has done for us, the hope that the resurrection is going to bring us all together. We're going to have this unity. He says, this is all for you, so that his grace extends to more and more people. Can we just pause for a second and picture what that might look like? Can you pause for a second and picture what that looks like in your circle? We're all in this room together. I'm always, it's always impressive to me and weird to me when people in our church meet each other and they've been going here for 10 years. That happens all the time. We're not that big of a church, but we're just that kind of people, you know? It's like, can you, but your circle, where you live, the people near you, the influencers to you, the people you influence, your best friend, people you hang out with, people you share a fence with. Just imagine this verse. Paul says, this is for your benefit. As this grace extends to more, he didn't just say more once, right? More and more. The glory of God is made high. More thanksgivings, more praise, more worship is given to Jesus. We tend to look at evangelism as, oh, no, do we have to do that thing? I got to take this class. I got to say these things. I got to go talk to people in the most awkward way. You're looking at it all wrong. Evangelism is I have received something and God has told me that more and more people are going to catch this. I want to be a part of bringing, and this is how we should see evangelism, bringing more worshipers to God. Amen? That's what evangelism is. It's not just saying, i got 14 people saved, so I'm a pretty awesome Christian and you're lame because you have yet. No, it's like, man, I just want to influence other people with the goodness of God, the grace of God. I want them to see, man, this, my life has changed. The gospel equals changed lives. And as we, as we look at this as, I want to help more worshipers and come to heaven. I want to be a part of inviting someone that may just be waiting for someone to say, hey, you ought to come. We think it's a big deal to invite them to church. We're talking about inviting them to heaven right? That's what evangelism is. Paul says more glory is given to God as more and more people come. So don't shy away when you hear me or any pastor say, hey, we need to reach Flagstaff or we need to fill up the empty chairs or, or we're going to go to two services or 14 services. Don't be all bummed about, well, I don't like big. You know what? 
I'm not going to go there, but um, <laughs> more and more. Just say more and more. More and more. People need Jesus. God's not done with us yet. They need Jesus in Egypt. The word of God is going there. Can you believe it? Like $950 worth of the word of God is going to Egypt? Where'd that come from? They need, they need Jesus in Nicaragua and Germany, Mexico. They need Jesus in Flagstaff. And God's calling us to be a part of the more and more. And not fearful of, well, that's for someone else. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, if you have a heartbeat and you've been saved, guess what you have? That's what I'm talking about. We have the ability to invite people to heaven, to let them know about Jesus. Let's think of telling the good news as bringing one more worshiper to the party. Because it's so good. It is so good. It is so good when you wake up this morning and you know God loves you. It is so good when you open your scripture and you have your quiet time and you know God loves you. You know you're at peace. Afflicted, troubles, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't count me out. God loves me. He's got me in this. That is so good. And Paul says, man, when more and more people understand this, the grace is magnified. Uh, Swindoll said, if, you, if you've lost an enthusiastic determination for ministry, take a look at your life. Are you living with an inward focus rather than an outward focus on others and an upward focus on Christ? You're like, I thought you weren't going to get in our face. Well, that's not me. That's someone else. But my point is, um, the point is, Paul's like, ministry? Yeah, this is the best thing ever. But it's costly. And there's suffering. And it's challenging. So we hold on to. That's, um, boy, that's point one. And um, you know what? I don't want to rush through point two. So, um, I mean, two verses, that's not a bad day, right? Um, thought I could have done better, three verses. So the, the, the idea on this first point, let me just wrap it with that because this is too valuable. The, the solid foundation that I have, the confidence, addresses the foundation of God's goodness over the temporariness of my insecurities. When bad things happen, we get insecure. Every single one of us. When something goes wrong, it's like, oh, what did I do? What happened? God doesn't like me? What did my kids say now? You know, whatever it is, it's like something's not right. And so we have this insecurity. And so the feeling of insecurity is what so many of us kind of build on and would drive off. And, and, and I think what Paul's saying here is it's been hard. And it is hard. And there's some of you I'm writing to that don't even like me right now. But my foundation is Christ is coming again. The one who raised Jesus is going to raise us. The one who raised Jesus is going to raise us. You guys can remember that statement enough to repeat it, right? The one who raised Jesus is going to raise us. One more time. The one who raised Jesus is going to raise us. You see, Paul's whole foundation is the hope of Christ. So it's going to be hard. Don't despair. It's going to be hard. Let's be like the psalmist and say, man, I believe this too, so I'm going to declare it. I want the more and more to be a part of what God's goodness is doing. The second coming of Christ is in front of us. 
Many people believe it's like in our lifetime. It's that close. The way things are, it's like, are you kidding me? How, how much more patience does God have? <laughs> I don't know how much patience he has, but it's still in front of us. So we anticipate that. We look forward to that. But let me finish with this one question again. Do you have that hope? Is that yours? In a few minutes, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song. Then we're going to leave. There's going to be a lot of commotion. People are going to get coffee. People are going to get a gift. People are going to stand around and talk. And we're all going to do this thing and go and eat. And will you leave with that hope? Will you have that hope of knowing, man, Jesus did that for me? I want you to know that hope. Give me just a moment, if, if you would, because you never know if there's like one person, whether you're watching online, and you might be, from your living room or wherever you're at traveling, or in this room. And you're like, you know, I've heard about this hope my whole life. I actually don't even have an argument against what you're talking about. But I don't know that if I walk out of this room, and that's it for me, I don't know that I would see Jesus face to face. Would you do me a favor and just all, let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes in just a spirit of prayer. And I ask you that just to kind of focus our attention. This isn't nap time. It's not like distraction time. It's like, man, can I just calm my soul for just a moment? Whenever Jesus is saving someone, whenever someone comes to faith in Christ, the enemy doesn't like run away to another place. He stays in the room swinging. And so those of you that know Christ, pray against the enemy's distraction. And to that one individual, or that two individuals, or that four of you, that you would say, man, I've heard this, I, I don't disagree, but I don't know that it's mine. The Bible says if we would look to Jesus, hear what he says is true, God loves me, for God so loved the world. So much so that he gave his son Jesus, who's fully God and fully man. Jesus came and died on a cross. He took my place. That was the whole point of the cross, was that he died for me. My sin is what separates me from God. Jesus paid for that. His blood was the only payment that would pay for the sin of me and the people on my row and in front of me and behind me. Jesus did that for me. The Bible says we believe that Jesus died on the cross for us. And that if we believe in our heart, we say in this moment, we say, you know what, God, I believe that's true. You did that for me. I am a sinner. You are God. You died for my sin. I believe that. I confess it is true. I receive you as my Savior this very moment, in this very moment. You can pray a prayer much like this, right where you're seated. Dear Jesus, I know you love me. And I know that I've sinned against God. And today I repent of that. I confess it is true. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, me. And I receive that gift of salvation. I believe you did that for me. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again. Jesus, thank you for loving me and saving me today. I put my faith in you and receive you as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. And if you, if that was you, like if, you, if you're in that space right now where you're praying that, 
or you're like right on the edge and you'd rather someone hold your hand and, and, and put a hand on your shoulder to help you with that, please let me or someone you came with today know that. I'll be at the back. There's people sitting around you that you're thinking, I bet this guy gets it. Talk to them. Talk to me. Let us help you. Share this good news. Wow, this actually means something. Life's going to be hard. The challenges are real. The distractions, the perplexions, all the stuff that Paul says. But at the end of the day, it's like, man, I'm not out. Because I'm looking forward to the day when Jesus will come. And today, if you pray to receive Jesus as your Savior... You're now part of the party. You're now a fellow worshiper. Since everyone's being respectful with their heads bowed and eyes closed and not, not peeking at you, making you feel uncomfortable, if you prayed right now to receive Christ as your Savior for the first time, would you raise your hand with me so I can, I can know that and rejoice with you and praise God with you? Thank you. God bless you. Awesome, you guys. Anyone else? Man, I prayed that prayer. I, just, I think today was my turning point. That is so cool. Church, you need to know there's a couple more people coming to the party. Fellow worshipers, God, we love you. We thank you for your passage, and it's just a few verses today, Lord, but, but the clarity of what Paul says, the encouragement. You know, we're just jars of clay. We, just, we carry this treasure of who you are. And we want to be passionate with the more and more, as, as, as much as Paul was. But, but Lord, sometimes we do get overcome with the affliction or the perplexities, the persecutions. Sometimes we feel struck down and depressed. But Lord, we're not destroyed. You've got us. You love us so much. And so, God, would you help us to be faithful, uh, faithful to you and and just loving this, this life of Christ in us, this life that we carry, the treasure within us. Lord, this is so good. It's so rich. May we each one be encouraged today. And Father, welcome. Welcome to the, to the two that raise their hand, that are new to the party, that are fellow worshipers of you. God, we as a church celebrate that and worship with you, that more people know you. God, we love you so much. We pray your blessing on this church this week, the churches in Flagstaff, as we are living out what you've called us to do. And Lord, until we return next week, we just pray your, your, the presence of your peace with each one. God, we just love you so much and thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. We'll pick it up next week, all right? Let's worship.